Thank you, Steve and choir. Last Sunday, we began a new series looking at the seven churches in Asia, as is recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. I said to you last week, there are some Bible scholars who understand those churches as representing the church throughout history, from the time of the apostles till the return of Christ. I happen to believe that, but our focus during this time is to see the relationship of Christ with His church. What is the expectation? What does the Lord expect from His church? What can we expect from the Lord? What is that relationship that He has with His church? I know that historically there have been those who have said that if one knows the Lord, if one is faithful to the Lord and serving the Lord, then that person is going to be prosperous as a result of that relationship. That physically I am going to be healthy and financially I am going to be wealthy. The fly in the ointment, so to speak, is the suffering of God's people throughout history. In 1999, Regent University did a study that revealed 164,000 Christians that year had been martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. From 70 A.D. up until current time, more than 70 million Christians have been martyred because they would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. So there has always been the suffering of the people of God. Now, as we continue our series, last week we looked at Ephesus, this week we look at Smyrna. Smyrna was known as a suffering church. But before we look at our text and we examine the church in Smyrna, let me give you a little bit of background information concerning the church and the city. Now, Smyrna, like all seven churches, was located in Turkey. It is about 35 miles to the north of the location of Ephesus. It was a wealthy city. In fact, it was second only to Ephesus. It was known for its emperor worship. In fact, they erected an amphitheater there that would hold 20,000 people involved in emperor worship. So Smyrna, the city of Smyrna, was known for emperor worship. Unlike Ephesus, Smyrna still exists today. It is today called Izmir, Turkey. So with that background, let's look in our Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. And to the angel of the church... Now, who did I tell you was the angel? The pastor. I just wanted to be scriptural throughout this entire series. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. 
Now, as we look at this church, it was a crushed church. It was comprised of believers who suffered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord begins by encouraging them in their suffering in verse number 9 when he says, I know. That is great encouragement to the people of God to know that he knows what we are going through. And they suffered persecution. Now, when we as American Christians think of suffering, normally we think in terms of, uh, of being ridiculed, perhaps of being ostracized, maybe even going so far as to lose one's job as a result of one's commitment to Christ. In fact, I was reading an article recently concerning Hobby Lobby, and they are not going, they say they are not going to participate in the Affordable Health Care Act because it violates their biblical position. However, if that ruling that has been made is not overturned in their favor, then they say that that will cost them $1.3 million a day. Now, we would say that that is suffering as we understand it. So, in America, when we think of suffering, we think in terms of finances, we think in terms of ridicule, we think in terms of being isolated or ostracized from other people. That is the way that we think of persecution. It was far more than that, however, in the church in Smyrna. The word tribulation that is used there literally means pressure. Pressure. And the word was used of a man who was tortured to death by being slowly crushed by a great boulder, or it was used of juice being pressed out of grapes. So the Lord then says to this church, I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through. I know about the torture. I know about the pressure. I know about the suffering that you are experiencing. So they suffered physically, but they also suffered emotionally. Barclay lists six points of slander brought against this church. They were accused of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper. This bread is my body, this juice is my blood. And because of the Lord's Supper, then they were accused of cannibalizing their own. They were accused of immorality. Because of the great emphasis the people of God place on love, that we love each other, that we love in the name of Jesus, then they were said to be immoral people. They were accused of breaking up homes. When someone in that society became a follower of Jesus, oftentimes they lived in an idolatrous family. And when they committed their lives to Jesus Christ, then there was friction within the family, and so they were accused of being responsible for the breaking up of families. They were accused of being atheists. Because they believed that there was one God, and they lived in a polytheistic culture, then they were said to be atheists. They were accused of being politically disloyal. You see, in this community that was known for Caesar worship, once a year the citizens would burn a pinch of incense and declare, Caesar is Lord. These Christians said, Jesus is Lord. And because their commitment was to Jesus, because they 
committed their lives to him, then they said they were disloyal to Caesar. They were also accused of being rebels. Nero said they were responsible for the burning of Rome, so they suffered. They suffered physically, they suffered emotionally. But here is the encouragement of the Lord. He said to them, I know. I know what you're going through, and I have not forgotten you. Not only were they persecuted, but they also experienced poverty. In verse number 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty. They suffered financially because of their faith. Now, there are two Greek words translated poverty. There is the word penia. That word speaks of just barely getting by, living from check to check, from hand to mouth. Some of you say, well, I understand that. There is that word that is used. The word that is used here, however, is a different word, spatatia. The word that is used here spoke of a beggar. It spoke of someone who was, who was depending on the generosity of someone else. So they were like beggars. You understand because of their commitment to Jesus Christ that they suffered physically. They also suffered financially. They were poor. And then he said they were imprisoned in verse number 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested. I don't know how it strikes you, but when I read about the suffering of these people because of their commitment to Christ, I'm a little overwhelmed by it. I mean, whenever we think of our suffering, when we think of the persecution that is directed towards us, it is nothing compared to this. Jesus said, I, I know about your persecution. I, I know about the pressure that is brought on you. I, I know about the emotional slander that is brought against you, what people are saying about you. I, I know that some of you are going to prison. Well, as I read that, I think, well, Lord, why do you allow that? Why do you allow the suffering of your people? And I don't know, especially in this case, but the Bible does give us some insight as to why sometimes we suffer as the people of God. The Bible tells us sometimes it is a matter of discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. You know, the truth is, we don't like this, but the truth is sometimes we suffer because of our own decisions and our own actions. Sometimes it is a matter of discipline that we suffer because we bring things on ourselves. Sometimes we suffer to prevent us from sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, that was the Apostle Paul. You recall that Paul prayed, Lord, remove this thorn from me. I'm not sure what it was. There's been a lot of speculation. But, Lord, remove this thorn from me. The Lord did not. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul says that the Lord gave me the thorn he gave me 
to keep me from pride, to keep me from exalting myself. You see, folks, sometimes the reason that we suffer is to prevent us from sinning. Sometimes our suffering is educational. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 8, Although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. There are some of you who have made exactly that statement, that I best learn through difficult times. Is that not true? I best learn sometimes through the difficulties that I face. Not the easy times, but the difficult times. So sometimes the suffering we go through is for educational purposes, and sometimes it's to build our testimony of faith. The Scripture says in Acts 9.16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So when I look at this church in Smyrna, it was a crushed church. It was a persecuted church, a suffering church. They, they suffered the pressure physically. They suffered emotionally. They suffered in every way imaginable. But then I see them as being a contented church. Well, now, how could that be possible? How can someone be content in the face of suffering? Now, I know that some of you are suffering. How can you be content in the face of suffering? Well, first of all, they had the right view of Jesus. Look at verse number 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. You see, folks, they understood that he was the Almighty, that he was the first and the last. That is what Isaiah had prophesied in chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God beside me. You know what that meant? They understood that God was in control of their lives. Therefore, they were not controlled by their circumstances. That's a good lesson for us. That God is the first and the last. He is in control. Therefore, they are not under the control of their circumstances. Something else they believed about him, he was alive. He says, who was dead and has come to life. You see... We serve, and they understood that they serve, a God who was victorious over death. And that is the message of the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. That was the message that went to the women who came to the cemetery on that first Easter. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. They understood that. Steve was mentioned that a while ago when we were praying that we serve a living God. And they understood because He lives, then I can live. That is the way that they had such contentment. They had the right view of Jesus. They also had a right view of their circumstances. Look at verse number 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Now, they were afflicted. The Bible tells us that there was the pressure. There was a physical suffering that they went through. The Bible tells us that they were poor and they were imprisoned. But look what he says. But you're rich in Christ. They understood that they were rich in Christ. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you. 
and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And then they had the right view of rewards in verse number 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. They had a correct understanding. They understood that their suffering was temporary. Most Bible scholars agree that the phrase there, in ten days, ten days, was emphasizing the fact that their suffering was temporary. That's what the psalmist said when he said, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Are you going through a difficult time right now? Jesus said, I understand that you're going through a difficult time. It'll go for ten days. It's temporary. But the rewards are eternal. The rewards of following Christ are eternal. I love the story about the missionary couple who had served for many years in another country and they were coming back home on a ship. And uh, it was the end of their missionary experience. And so when they came home, they arrived in the United States. And upon arrival, there were families there and friends to greet the other passengers on the ship. And there happened to be one celebrity that was on board and So all the paparazzi came, all of the media came out to see that one person, that that one celebrity. Well, as they they looked around, the missionary couple looked around, and they saw all the family, they saw all the friends, they saw the, the press that was there and so forth. The wife turned to her husband and said, it doesn't hardly seem fair, does it? We've been over there serving all these years, and there's really no one here to greet us. It doesn't hardly seem fair, does it? And he said to his wife, yeah, but we're not home yet. Oh, we're not home yet. You see, the suffering that we go through, the difficulties that we face in life, all those things. Jesus said that they are temporary. But the rewards that we face for following him, the scripture says, is eternal. They were a contented church. How could they be content? Well, they had the right view of Jesus. They knew that he was almighty and that he was alive. He was the first and the last, the one who was dead but is alive. They had the right view of their circumstances and they had the right view of rewards. And thus they were a comforted church. They were contented and comforted in their sufferings. Why? Well, because they had the interest of heaven. Look at verse number 9. I know your tribulation. We're comforted when we know that heaven has taken notice of our circumstances. So Jesus said to them, I know what you're going through. I know. My friend, the Lord knows what you're going through. For some of you, he knows about that doctor's report that was not that favorable. He knows. For some of you, he knows about the financial struggle that you're facing. He knows. For some, he knows about the marital difficulty that you're experiencing. He knows that. And for some of you parents, he knows about the disappointment of your children who no longer serve the Lord. He knows that. What a comfort it is when we know the Lord and he says, 
I know. And he cares. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 36, And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. You see, friend, the Lord knows what you're going through. I don't. And maybe no one else does. But the Lord knows. He knows what you're going through, and He cares. And that was the comfort that He gave to the people. So they had the interest of heaven. They had the involvement of heaven. In verse number 8b, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. He suffered. Jesus is not speaking theoretically. He suffered also. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Do you see what He is saying? He says, I know what you're going through and I understand because I've been through it too. Jesus suffered physically. He was beaten. His face was slapped. His beard was plucked. He knew what it was to suffer physically. He knew what it was to suffer emotionally. There when I read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He's pouring out His heart to the Father and says, Father, if there is some way for man to be saved other than my death on the cross, then let this cup pass from me. The Bible says there was such a struggle that he was going through that he sweat great drops of blood. He knows what it is. He understands the physical suffering. He understood the emotional suffering. He even understood the spiritual suffering and to know what it feels like when you feel like you've been abandoned by God. There on the cross he cried out, My God! My God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, he knows. When you feel that God has abandoned you, He knows and He cares. They were comforted also because their investment was in heaven, not the earth. In verse number 9, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but, but you're rich. They were poor here, but Jesus said, oh, but you're rich. You're rich in Christ. Do you remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? The Bible says that Lazarus was just a beggar. The word that is used there is the same word that is used here. He was a beggar depending on the generosity of the rich man to make it from day to day. But the Bible says that he died and he went to paradise, went to be with the Lord. The rich man died. The Bible says that he died and went to hell. Folks, things change sometimes dramatically, don't they? That's what Jesus is saying. I know that you're poor. I know you don't have anything. He said, but you're rich in Christ. And then their inheritance was in heaven, and that comforted them. John wrote in Revelation 21:4, He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Do you know what is going to happen someday? For those who know the Lord. The Bible says that you're going to heaven. And those tears will be dried. 
Some of you have shed a lot of tears because of your suffering and hurt. Those tears will be dried. The Bible says that death will be defeated. Death is gone. Our loved ones no longer die because death is defeated. And he says that mourning will stop. No more mourning. No more night. Mourning stops and our pain is quenched. That's the promise of the Lord. So, let me conclude. As believers, we may or may not prosper, but we will suffer. Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So, how are you to respond to it? Well, Jesus said you are to be fearless. In verse number 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of timidity. How are you to handle the difficulties of life? Be fearless. And then he said, and be faithful. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Folks, what I want us to do as we go through this series looking at these churches is to ask about the relationship of Christ to the church, to us. And how are we supposed to respond to the world in which we live, understanding that we know him? Now, at this time, we always come to give an invitation to say to you, if you have never trusted Christ, then today we invite you to come to him. If you're looking for a church home, then our doors are open to you. After this message, I thought it, be, it is important to emphasize. I don't think I have ever said, at least I hope I have not, that if you commit your life to Jesus Christ, that life is just going to be hunky-dory for you. That everything's going to be great, it's going to be downhill and shady. Because that is not what the Scripture says. There are blessings, and the Lord will take care of your needs. I believe that. But let me tell you truthfully, if you commit your life to Jesus, it might very well mean that you're going to go through a time of suffering as a result of it. Now, do you still want to commit your life to Jesus? See, that's what you have to weigh. That's what you have to look at. It's more than walking down the aisle and shaking a preacher's hand and signing a card and saying, yep, I'm good to go. I've got my fire insurance policy. More than that, it means I am committing my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But he says, and I know what you're going through. And I care. And I'll see you through it. With that in mind, if you've never committed your life to Christ, I encourage you to do so today, understanding what it means that I am willing to commit my life to Jesus and serve Him even if there is suffering. And if you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We would love to have you, but understand this is what we believe. Our Father in God, we come to a time to, an extend, uh, to extend an invitation. And I pray, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts for those who have never committed themselves to Jesus, I pray they would consider it, and I pray that they would. 
Holy Spirit, I would ask that you draw them to Christ, that people might be saved. And Father, I pray for those who are looking for a church home to be a part of. I pray they would feel welcome here. Lord, I lift up to you those who are discouraged today and suffering today. I pray that they might be encouraged and comforted. I pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we stand together? The choir will sing. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. If you're coming to give your heart to Christ, to join the church, you come. <laughs>